Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Linux Lads. Uh, we are back. Um, I am Shane. I'm Connor. And I'm Mike. And as usual, we have a bunch of random shite to talk about. It's <laughs> um, very true. Don't, don't we, guys? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'll hand it off to you guys. What's first on the agenda? Um, so, there's the first thing on the agenda is the pleasure of dealing with small projects and why we need people forking, fragmenting, and generally doing whatever they, the fuck they feel like. Um, Mike, I think you put this one in the in the show notes. Yeah, because I get always, um, and you know, when I'm 10 minutes into this rant, feel free to stop me, but I always get a little bit upset when people say, oh, you shouldn't be going off doing your own thing. You should contribute to this bigger project because there is a fragmentation and we never have good software. All this bullshit. I don't know when it was the last time I heard it, but it was about two weeks ago. And... Uh, I I have only the best experience with smaller projects. Like, I'm not saying LibreOffice is great, right? The Linux kernel, amazing. But there is a lot of space for people uh, thinking, well, I might want to make my own, insert your project here, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it, you know, despite the fact that there might be a big foundation already doing the thing. This whole thing was sparked uh, by uh, basically about last Thursday, I was uh, I was working on something at work, and I was using Visidata, which is just my Linux boner from two episodes ago. And uh, something didn't work. There's a key combination that was meant to that was meant to uh, copy something, and it didn't work as expected. So I found the GitHub page. I submitted an issue or bug or whatever. And within, and the guy who makes this is in Seattle, and I'm in Dublin, so that's what about ten hours uh, from each other. He he replied pretty much within the time frame, uh, saying, "Yeah, okay, well, this is the workaround, this, and this is going to be fixed in next release. In the next release, uh, is there anything else I can do for you?" And I'm like, "Wow, similar experience with another project. I think it was Cute Browser, where." I submitted a rep- uh, the bug report through the uh, automated uh, bug reporting, uh, either in KDE or in uh, or in the Qt browser. And the guy comes back pretty much instantly saying, I saw your bug report. Uh, that's because of this. This is how you can help it. Say, you know, you submit something, you submit a bug report or something happens with LibreOffice and they already have a, a 2 million and I'm picking on them. I'm not actually picking on them, but it's just the biggest project that springs to my mind. They already have a lot of issues to deal with. And despite the fact that there's a lot of developers, they already are very, uh, you know, the, the bugs, they already are overloaded with bugs. And also, if you found a bug in LibreOffice, chances are that probably someone has uh, already already come across it and uh, you might be adding on to it, but you're not making as much difference. With these smaller projects, uh, not only your bug gets taken care of more instantly but you also have a direct communication with the developers and then they tend to be very uh, very helpful and uh, you have a very good feeling that you helped a project and that you that you do something that makes a difference so yeah that's uh, that's what I'm talking about one thing that I will say is a slight devil, devil's advocate of dealing with small projects versus dealing with larger projects. Um, you're correct in when you're saying that in LibreOffice, whatever bug you're coming across, invariably um, two people or ten people have already submitted a bug 
to that but in the in that instance is not the um submitting a book that they're completely unaware of obviously they're aware of if if um if 10 people have already submitted the bug it was useful in that sense is the frequency of the bug or maybe you're on uh ubuntu 1604 still and um um, all the bug reports have been coming from 1804 and then you submit the bug report that what could be unique in your instance is oh um, 18 or 1604 users are also experiencing this bug or 1604 on unity are, are also experiencing this bug and we thought it was just limited to the 1804 gnome version or something like that yeah i i agree and i'm not saying it's great that we have big open source projects i just get um this is me in defense of the smaller ones, not opposed to the big ones. It's just sometimes people think that uh, it's fragmentation of efforts and that already small community has, uh, our already small community has uh, no, not enough developers for small projects. But my experience uh, is to the contrary. Uh, Shane, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, not really. I mean, I've never really uh, gone so far as to submit a bug report or email the maintainer of anything. Um, you know, I can only speak from the perspective of someone who's dealt with larger companies. Um, ge generally, what I, I'll tend to do if I encounter a problem in any software I'm using is either just ignore it or work around it or, you know, or uh, look online for, for a, a hack or a fix. So I, 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 I don't know, it seems to me that other people are far more proactive in getting in touch with the with the maintainers or the developers than I would. And I think the vast majority of people would probably fall into that bracket. They would just kind of either deal with it or just, uh, or, you know, or, or just find a find a workaround of some kind. Um, the my instance, uh, my familiarity with submitting bug reports was uh, mainly actually on my Android phone. Um, whether the the app itself was open source or not, it was the, of the direct feedback for the developer and the fact that they made it really. Um, it's the making it easy for the user to submit a bug report if. Um, a lot of the times when it's happened has been eff effectively automated there's been minimal user in input is the case of oh no something has happened and a pop-up has on the, come up on the screen saying do you want to submit this to the developer and you say yes and th then you you either if you've set a default um, email uh, app on your phone then it automatically switches over to that or it will give you the option of saying do you want to use gmail do you want to use protomail whatever you pick one and then it it says and then it just literally pastes in the raw freaking logs of what happened into the email and you can just say yeah send off it goes and invariably i've i've actually got an email back saying yeah the reason for that is this and it'll be fixed to the next version or hmm that's interesting could you send me more information in relation to that so they, they tend to be quite good um but the that make it easier for the user to submit the bug reports is is a lifesaver i would say um it, it creates more information for the developer and it allows them more opportunities to fix the the bugs yeah, I, I can only agree with you what you're saying. I've been in a situations before where I 
wanted to submit a bug report but it was basically yeah go to this website make an account confirm it with your email then there's going to be a capture and then uh, maybe you should look through our interface that is horribly clunky and unreadable to see if the, there was this bug already submitted by somebody else and once you go through all of this you have to fill out a form basically that's asking for stack traces stack traces and stuff like that where i'm not even sure what they are talking about so making it easy easy is very important because i just at some point i just persevered because i wanted to see what's going to come next but uh, i don't think uh this kind of horrific experiences do anybody any good and i would go as far as saying that uh, maybe automated uh automated uh, reporting uh maybe even like chronological even when there's no crash uh, to vendors that you trust for example i would have no problems if my if my uh, system uh sent data periodically back to canonical or the people who make kde neon or the kde people themselves i would go as far as saying that this at least for me would be a good thing i know there are privacy concerns but we are not talking about google here we are talking about uh open source projects that we select and install on our pcs and i think that the the most the, the easiest it is for everybody involved the better the software is going to be in the end uh, i would agree with that as long as it's opt in rather than op, uh, opt out oh yeah of course um, and also the fact that the the fact that it's just an automatic uh, paste of the of the logs into your um, email client of choice is all the information is is there that the developer uh, requires. There's no back and forth of um, oh what operating system are you on? Uh, what desktop environment are you on? Blah 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 blah. What what's your hardware in terms of the very basic amount of is he using this graphics card or blah, 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 or is he using an Intel integra um, integrated graphics card? Like, if is the graphical crash in relation to a graphics driver or something like that? Um, all of that information could literally be just be the log of he's using 1604, using KDE, he's using an NVIDIA graphics driver, this version of the graphics driver, blah, 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 and just send that off to the developer rather than the developer going back saying, okay, cool, I know you're on 1604, but are you using NVIDIA or are you using AMD? And rather than the back and forth of that, it, the troubleshooting is, is a lot easier, I would imagine, from the developer point of view when it's just literally just a template and the template is, is auto-filled in and you and the user just literally says, grant, it's, it's coming from this email address, it's sending to that email address, send. Yeah, I think it's uh, there is a lot of well, a lot of space for improvement. But uh, in my experience, uh, bug reporting in Linux has improved drastically uh, in the last few years. I think it might something to do with the fact that a lot of developers are now also using Ubuntu desktop or some other Linux distribution desktop, and they uh, so it's got we have more users than ever, and uh, they are. Uh, they are interested in uh, things working correctly. I think uh, just to do a little smooth segue, because we love those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, next uh, thing we have here is that uh, should communication with users and media be a number one priority for uh, larger open source projects? So should users and contributors and all the rest 
anyone with a vested interest in the project um you know is communication expected and open openness from the project it would be for me for example because i think that uh even if nothing's happening, say, for example, your project is sticking over fine. Uh, there is this case of uh, me and XFCE where I periodically discover that XFCE still exists, for example, because I don't come across any communication from them. So for me, it's like, yeah, I, even if nothing's happening, it's still good to refresh your existence in people's memory. And then when something does happen, for example, your servers go down, you are under DDoS attack or something like that. I think obviously the first, the impulse is first start fixing what's wrong and uh, like screw everything else. But I don't think that's, that's a good idea. I think equally important is, for example, your servers are on fire. Well, tweet about it so that people know and then keep communicating every, I don't know, hour if something, if, if there is a real emergency and if there is a long-term problem with your project, go and uh, post blog posts, uh, do interviews, whatever it takes. I It's, for example, there are, uh, there is a uh, case of, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's Linux Mint where the lead just doesn't like interviews and it's kind of fine because they never had any 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 problems but imagine if something like if if something bad happened to to the project uh technically and uh, they had to deal with it suddenly they don't have uh, suddenly they don't have the communication and users who rely on their project for uh, work and uh, and whatever other purposes uh they need kind of communication. They need to know that the project was happening with the project, no matter what is actually happening. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I've I've come across some good examples of communication from uh, certain projects. Like one thing that springs to mind is um, uh, uh, Monero, uh, the 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 privacy focused cryptocurrency. So just to give you a tiny bit of ten second history. Monero is like a privacy-focused crypto coin where you can't see, uh, you know, the ledger isn't visible, so you can't see who, like, where a coin went from one address to another address. Where you can with Bitcoin, you can see the entire history of uh, of the transaction in the blockchain, but you can't do that with Monero. So, and I believe they're an open-source project, but I'm not, I'm not entirely certain. But um, they're excellent at communication. They're just they communicate almost too much. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of refreshing to see, but like, I suppose it's in the nature of their product. Um, you know, it's, it's, a it's, you know, it's an exchange of value. It's a currency essentially. I don't know what you, if you would class a cryptocurrency as an actual currency, but you know, it's, it's an exchange of value. It's a, it's a, it's a financial instrument. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good that they're communicating and, you know, telling you what they're doing on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm certainly. I would. Um, I would agree with that. Um, it's good. It's good to have um, 
uh, updates out in the open for example uh, yeah, our, our servers are on fire and so on and so forth but um, there is uh, certainly, there, certainly there's a balance to be had in relation to that is it the case of don't be um, necessarily spamming um, Twitter every hour um, depending on the severity of the of the topic um, or if it's just a monthly kind of or weekly just update on their on their blog or something like that then that's um, communication is key but I can certainly understand from um, the, the type of person that wants to set up their own um, Linux distribution or a person type of person who wants to set up their own um, software free, uh, project or something like that is necessarily the the marketing or communication genius in other words the uh, the skill points are or skill skills are not necessarily the strong point of the personality that is going to say uh, hmm this is a really technical piece of software I um, I like enjoy the challenge of of um of writing that piece of software or developing my own version, my own fork of that piece of software. Um, so as projects grow, they might take on marketing or communication stuff. Mike? Yeah, uh, I think sometimes uh, marketing experts and uh, engineers don't always get along very well because uh, one is about uh, generalization and communication and uh, feelings and the other one is a precision science and i think there are clashes sometimes and uh, sometimes the engineers don't think that marketing is important but i think it is uh, because uh, you know obviously measured marketing don't let them do whatever they want because that's just crazy but uh, you need this day and age if there is a if there is a project open source and maybe fully community and not backed by company, I'd still expect that it has a nice website, maybe a .io domain, you know, all the hipster stuff that we are used to, and maybe maybe some nice videos with good jingles. It, it's if you if you don't have that, then your project might be like technically sound or even excellent and maybe it could like really help the world but i think without that kind of uh, without communication and marketing and those two are not always the same i think i think without it a project is not realizing its full potential to sound like a complete douchebag yeah i mean uh in my experience it's it's always been you know the sales and marketing people make the promises but the developers keep them so uh like yeah it's a it's a fine line i mean it's it's basically is everyone on this it depends on the project as well and what sort of thing it is and who it's useful to um but yeah it's a it's it's a fine line to tread um certainly it's it depends on the the approach and some approaches um vary from from project to project i'm sure um canonical has sales and marketing people but it seems to be that deliberately maybe it's a top-down decision of um we're kind of uh, marketing ourselves as almost a community project even though we're a full company with uh, a lot of employees um like 100 plus employees whatever the, their figure is it seems to be that it's all from a community point of view in other words the community manager is nearly as important if not more important than wh- whatever their sales or marketing department is i'm not saying that they don't have a sales and marketing department but it seems to be that um 
that is not the doesn't seem to be their their public face. Maybe they have a sales department that ex- deals exclusively with enterprise, and their their marketing and everything is geared towards the enterprise market. But certainly, in terms of the desktop user point of view, it seems to be all community, and we're we're part of the Linux community. And um, I mean, John O'Bacon used to be their community manager over there, and he since has spinned out, and uh, now he does a community um, con- or communication community consultancy business that's what his business is and he's kind of dealt with um, a few people including github and a few others um but it seems to be that that is their the bread and butter of projects like canonical even though as i said they're fully uh, commercial uh, for profit company backing ubuntu but um it seems to be that they they have a kind of a spin of we're part of the community which seems to be working quite a bit but I don't think it's a spin because yeah. I think that without a community, you know, the word yeah. they chose Ubuntu means something like I am because you are or I am because we are, something like that, right? I think in their case, like they would be literally non-existent without a community. And I think they That's realize right. yeah. that. And I think, and I don't want to sound too much as a canonical shell, but I do like the company, even though it's been controversial. Uh, but I think controversy is something you cannot avoid no matter what space you are as long as you start doing something you will become at some point controversial to one person or another and I I, I like what they are doing and I don't think it's a spin I think it just is right so they, they are part of the community they have to be because they take a lot of uh, they take a lot of energy and a lot of results from the community and uh, they 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 work with it and they give it back to the community and they sell bits of it and they make money i think there is you know they they are fully aware of the importance of community and they are they adjust their marketing for want of a better word uh, accordingly and uh, but I don't think it's only canonical. Uh, look at uh, GNOME or KDE. Whenever they release, uh, whenever they release a, vid- uh, a new, uh, whenever they release a new release, they have a new video uh, with a nice voiceover, a nice graphics, and it's uh, you know telling people what they did. And I think that's important. You know, telling the periodically informing users that periodically informed users that there's uh, something happening, that we are still alive, and that we are uh, making progress. Um, I believe both those two projects they don't um, the core of the project doesn't have a commercial backer for example uh, for exa- um, canonical backing Ubuntu um, where it's there that exclusively um, there may be a line share of the con- contributions and the um, are by full-time employees of one pro- of one company for example um gnome i believe a lot of the contributions coming from red hat because for fedora's um and no and red hat en- enterprise linux this default ex- um desktop environment is gnome um but the gnome project itself i don't believe i think is completely independent of of red hat so even though red hat may be the major contributor is not necessarily um the um it's not commercially backed by um red hat uh, same thing with kde i believe it's um blue systems or something I, I i may have got their name and it could be something very similar as in employees of this company are the major contributors to this project but the the project itself is is independent which um you can do in in uh, open source yeah um 
Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting topic. Anyway, um, so I think uh, we'll move on. Uh, the next thing we have to talk about here is, uh, oh, this is an interesting one. This should set some, uh, set some heads spinning. Uh, do we have a cult of personality in open source and tech in general? So I think this is prompted by uh, a New York Post article. <laughs> uh, Stop treating tech jerks like gods, which I think was a little bit alarmist and sensationalist and whatever you want to call it for my yeah. liking, but um, and very, very biased and not good journalism. But anyway, um, Hold, yeah, hold so on. this is a it, this it, is a topic that is of particular interest to me because I have gotten into some heated some heated discussions about Elon Musk because I love Elon Musk and I think he's great and he's just he's just puppies and candy to me. But like uh yeah, he has his problems, but I don't know. Uh from my perspective, I think these people are complex people. People tend can be assholes, even rich people. Like you know, you don't have a different set of standards just because you're rich on either side, like positive or negative. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I I have, uh, say, the, 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 the article might be alarmist, but have you ever met anybody who was desperately in love with Steve Jobs? They, they, they get treated, uh, these people do get sometimes treated as gods, maybe not by us, but there is element of that in society. And with, with any of... With, with many of the people that you can name as a tech giant leader, and this is more in the commercial sphere than actually open source, but if you think of the most tech companies that you know, any of their leader, you could probably name something against them. So you mentioned Elon Musk. Well, all well and good up until the point when he, when he called somebody a pedophile without, without being able to back it up. And uh, that for me is, okay, well... Until you apologize for that, you're a jerk. And if you don't apologize, you're a jerk forever. Like, you know, we, obviously he's going through some tough time and everything, but that kind of does it for me because that could destroy a person's life being called a sexual offender. That's just not on. Uh, see, the, uh, Steve Jobs was basically just a jerk. I think from what we can, from what we can hear about him. And he has got, I mean, I've been, known to say good things about him because he had good he had good um, influence on tech believe it uh, at least from from my perspective he he took something really shitty i.e the smartphone and uh, he or the company underneath him actually created uh, smartphones that are usable because before that I don't think most people uh, would be very happy using using what was done before and it was good for, for the you know tech people might have liked smartphones before the iPhone but most people definitely didn't because they were clunky and ugly and slow and you know so the jerk kind of changed that but uh, he's, still a, he's still a jerk for what he uh, what he did and again I'm not exercising some kind of eternal judgment for me people make mistakes and it's okay as long as they apologize it's just many of these people are not very good at apologizing like my mark zuckerberg for example yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah um for for me like i, I like elon musk i like what he does uh, you know i like the work he's trying to do uh, i like his ideals but i, I don't know for me I think sometimes I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying like some people are like, oh, so you should give billionaires a free pass. No, of course not. Uh, but like for me, I separate their work 
from their them as a person. Like, if Elon Musk is a dickhead, then okay, he's a dickhead. Whatever. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to invite him to dinner or anything. Like, I'm. I. <laughs> I, I like. I still like the work he's doing. So and people like completely wank over jobs all the time because you know they they think he made some fantastic products and fantastic software even though he probably never touched a line of code himself he just shouted at people until they did it for him <laughs> anyway um but you know he obviously had a vision he obviously had a plan in mind he obviously knew what he wanted and he was able to get it out of people somehow uh so i don't know i try to separate the the personality from the work so Elon Musk's uh, eventual goal is like getting people to Mars and getting people off the planet and, you know, promoting renewable energy and stuff. Those are all very admirable goals. So I'm not saying I forgive the shit he's done. Like, yes, he should let his workers unionize. And yes, he should stop getting into dumbass arguments on Twitter about really pedantic shit. Like, of course, yeah, I would prefer if he didn't do all those shitty things. Um, and just get back to doing what he does best, which is like building cool rockets. Just in relation to um, Steve Jobs, they just further credence to the fact that um, yeah, well, he, he was a complete and utter uh, asshole in certain respects, as in he didn't recognise that he uh, failed to recognise that he had a daughter until it was like even DNA tests like yeah, you are or you are the father of of this person. Then he was like, no, 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 I, I'm not giving any um, child. Um, payments or what or whatever um like i'm not saying he wasn't a jerk but it was just the whole thing of he had a vision and he knew how to get the um how knew how to market that vision and he knew how to get um people to, you know to wherever he wanted them um a lot of uh, by a lot of accounts anytime that he put something on the floor on, on the table all his engineers were like yeah well that's that's impossible like we will not be able to do that for about five or ten years and he's like no well it doesn't matter you're doing it um i mean i think for the de- for the demonstration for the first macintosh where the the macintosh was reading text back um to a month um, from stuff that was on the screen in the 80s apparently um the commercial version that was available had half the ram of the the demo model and that kind of thing of just behind the door like we're not quite there yet but like just give them the uh, give the illusion and we'll, we'll we might be there in a year or two but get the product out the door uh, same thing with the the first iphone apparently there was a very severe um script on, on the demonstration as in click on this then go to this click on that then go to that apparently it was like really rigid and apparently the engineers in the background behind the scenes were shitting themselves saying that that phone running that operating system could crash at any second like (laughs) we know that if you go from A to B to C it will work but if you if if for some reason he forgets and he goes from A to C then it could crash (laughs) (laughs) yeah like uh, I had a thought there, completely forgotten it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what what do people want though. I mean, like like do they want progress or do they want people to be nice all the time? Like <laughs> like you can't no, have, like you can't have both. Like think... some people are going to be dicks, and the people with big ideas tend to also have per- big personalities, and quite often to you know in a negative way. Um, but like. Who gives a shit? Like, if they're if they're doing something illegal, by all means, prosecute them. If they're 
doing something immoral, by all means, call them on it and question their suitability for their role. But, you know, just getting into a little argument about this or that or just little soap opera shit like it's just there's there's bigger things at stake here. Um, So I I don't know, like uh, and what? Another thought that popped into my head, why is it only tech guys who are subject to this? I mean, James Cameron, the film director, people love his films. Um, People are like, like he's considered one of the most successful film directors of all time next to like Spielberg. Um, So like he's a complete asshole from what I, like he's an absolute out and out douche. Like uh, I heard he would like take a nail gun to people's phones on set and like basically like scream at people for 10 minutes straight right into their face like just a horrible human being but he makes amazing films from in some people's opinion that Who's, bank really well at the box office what what i i don't know anything about these people that's the thing that's why uh but yeah of course there are jerks in every walk of life but to the previous point that you made uh people cannot be at the same time and nice and have big ideas. Well, I don't know if that's true, but even if it is, like, you have Linus Torvalds. He's not exactly the nicest person you've ever met, but when he's when he's not being nice, he's not being nice on point. I don't think he is going to tell you you're a complete asshole. He might tell you that your code is a piece of shit. And that's the kind of difference, you know? He's not he's not being a jerk because he's having a bad day, and he's not having a, being a jerk because... Uh, I don't know, he's a bit tired and his tummy is empty. He's just basically just giving you out because you did something wrong in a, or you submitted a not, not good enough result at work. And I think that is the difference. You know, people... I, and I don't know if it's possible to get, like, to become big in the commercial sphere uh, without being a complete complete moron but uh, it's definitely possible in open source like how many of the project leads of massive of uh, of big open source projects that are very big in our niche how many of them are douchebags like Steve Jobs yeah I mean we're talking about a small minority exactly like it's I don't know if that's the point you were making Mike but um, yeah I mean I, I don't know it, it but it's kind of immaterial for me like it really is it just I try to stay away from opinion and personality and all those intangible things like because it just it doesn't matter to me I don't care basically like oh like someone would send me a message saying oh Elon Musk said a thing the other day well I don't fucking care like is he still making cars that are electric is he still sending rockets with like men and cars to Mars or whatever that's cool. I want to keep seeing that shit. Like, so I don't really, I don't really care what he says on Twitter to anyone. Yes, he should let his workers unionize. Yes, he should do all these things just to be nice. And I don't know, but I don't know. It's so ridiculous sometimes. Like, I, I just, I roll my eyes generally when I hear, oh, someone's a dick. But so, <laughs> like, they're not your friend. Like, um, maybe, maybe it's just, uh, it's a certain personality type that tends to work the way up to becoming a CEO of a company as as in it may, might reward somebody who's that driven and people who are that driven invariably do have a certain personality type. I'm not saying it's exclusive. I mean, um, 
Uh, one example on the extreme end end is uh, Larry Elson from from Oracle. Apparently, he's a complete and utter fucking asshole. <laughs> so for, forget about uh, Steve Jobs. Apparently, this guy's like off the scales as as being a, a complete and utter asshole and really bad to work with. Um, but thankfully, he's not in the public eye uh, very often. So maybe it's um, the, it's just the, he knows how to be an asshole in private I mean I, I, I agree I mean I think anyone who's in the public eye needs to have a certain personality type I mean I'm not generalizing I'm not saying everyone's like that but I've spoken to people who have been involved in say drama and they say like 90% of the people you'll deal with in theater or drama are just the most narcissistic awful people <laughs> but like I don't know. It's just I think certain personality types come with the territory. It's not ideal. It's not perfect. I don't agree with it. I'm not condoning being a shitty person at all. Like, don't think that for a second. But yeah, I just think, you know, you know, do, do you want progress? Do you want people with vision to move things forward? Or do you want everyone to be nice all the time? Like, you're just not living in the real world. Like, if, if that's a big stumbling block for you. Yeah, it's it's diff- it's different personality types. The whole idea of um, there there'll always be people who are really good um, at their job, be it coders or whatever, um, and th- that type of job tends to be um, where you're isolated. As in, even if you're in an office, invariably the developers are like, "Okay, I'm going to put on headphones and I'm going to listen to music or a podcast for for next two or three hours because I'm co- I'm focusing, I'm concentrating on on the, on the task at hand." So invariably they would kind of keep to themselves, versus the marketing people or the people who are talking the phones all all the time. They are interacting with people constantly, so probably they would probably. Um, participate more in the whole fun nights out and um, thing that whole thing in the office atmosphere. So it's it's definitely down to the personality type. So, um, but I'm not. Each person is is equally valuable to the company. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to hear what the general consensus is on this because, I like people are very divided on this topic. Um, and I seem I actually seem to be in the minority with my opinion from the people I've spoken to where they're just like oh so you're saying they should just be allowed to do whatever they want uh, no obviously not I mean there's still laws there's still basic human decency I'm not saying that has to go away and I'm not saying you're exempt from that if you have a certain amount of money in your bank account but you know it's just that's the way it is <laughs> And for the the moment, at least, probably the best thing for, uh, in order to discuss these topics um, in relation to the um, the episodes is our uh, Telegram group. Um, so if you just, we'll have the link in the show notes for the Telegram group. Um, don't think we have an email address at the moment, but <laughs> we, yeah, we yeah, do. it's fifth episode and we don't have an email address. Like I, I should really get on that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I think. Uh, Mike, do you have any last thoughts on tech jerks? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think I've said, I've said my piece. Okay. Uh, with that, we shall move swiftly on. Um, targeted advertising and the ability to turn it on or off. Um, 
you guys enlightened me on this a bit earlier uh, because I thought this was all dealt with through GDPR. Or did I say that right? GP GDPR? Yeah, GDPR. Ah, yes, okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, because basically I've heard they've hide it behind a lot of dark patterns in their UI and they, you know, uh, it takes forever to find it. It's hidden behind menu upon menu. What do you think? Yeah, I would. I had an experience. I was trying to switch off uh, tracking on TechCrunch and that belongs to OV, which is a massive company that has got uh, AOL and uh, Yahoo as well as TechCrunch. And uh, it took me a lot of clicking and uh, looking through miles of text to find uh, the dashboard where you can actually switch this off. I'll put the link into the show notes. Uh, for that but i think that uh, the eu didn't go far enough with this they not only should have said well you should be uh, you, you should be telling people when you track them and you should give them the option not to they should have also said it should be easy to find preferably an off on off switch what do you guys think i would agree that it it should be um easy to find um, and literally just before this this uh, we were playing around this um, by going to the TechCrunch uh, I went on TechCrunch and I, I was like yeah, it's, it seems to be fine maybe my ad blocker is blocking it and then um, Mikey made the point of maybe I had previously opted in and completely forgot about it uh, so what I did was I opened up um, a private browsing tab and went to TechCrunch again and again and you're right the pop-up did come up so uh, I might have gone okay yeah fine whatever and just completely forgotten about it um, also it's good to um, point out that Oath is actually owned by Verizon Wireless so um, there's a vested interest in making these things kind of hard and um, covering up all your data yeah but that's I think it is horrendous but on the other side there are people who believe that advertising is what pays for the internet and without advertising and therefore without tracking and uh, all these uh, uh, automated exchanges and stuff, uh, the whole thing is going to fall apart. I don't agree with that. I think the internet has been here before uh, ridiculous advertising. Maybe things like uh, Facebook would stop stop working if they couldn't get revenue from uh, selling your data to everybody who asks. But, uh, you know, that would be no... Uh, no skin from my hand uh, and uh, I don't think that the internet is something you can kill just because you turn off something that makes the internet worse not better what do you guys think um, I think uh, yeah you're you're right I mean advertising's not the best way to do things anymore I, I would say uh, it's kind of all we have at the moment but you're starting to see uh, people like the appetite for seeing ads is is at its at an all time low. Like uh, you know, in the last ten years, we've seen ad blockers out the door, um, and you even have like traditionally free services now offering like paid extras or you know paid subscriptions. You know, YouTube Premium being the main one. Um, you know, uh, I think it's 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 a social i guess yeah it's a social attitude i guess it's a general kind of thing like it'll take a few years for this to become the norm so a lot of people are so used to just shit online being free like facebook's always free youtube's always free uh but you see ads once in a while 
Um, but it's it, it has gotten to some ridiculous levels with the ads. So I don't know. Yeah, you're right. A new paradigm needs to be found. Uh, what that is, I don't know. But yeah, but it, it's de- we're going to start to see advertising being phased out or changing uh, how it's uh, how we see the ads. Uh, I think things are being um, felt out in the moment uh, as to what is the best model. You, I've, I, um, at the moment, different websites are using different kind of uh, models. Um, uh, the newspaper industry, or um, some of them, are using uh, limited amount of free articles. In other words, oh, we'll give you three uh, free articles a day or something, and hey, if you like it. Then why don't you you pay uh, then put it behind a paywall? Um, the Irish Times is is an example of something that does that, and I actually think that the fact that uh, an unlimited access to the Irish Times is is actually worth paying for for me. So I think uh, something like twelve euro a month, uh, you get free digital access, including the uh, an app on their phone for uh, as many articles as you can as you can consume. Uh, flip side of that is the Guardian, where everything is free, but they kind of um, at the end of their articles is saying hey we're, we're offering this for free and that's all good but you know we have to pay the bills so why don't you pay uh, five or a month or, or a dollar a month or whatever it is all your cont- contributions help but uh, all our articles will always be free and the art the guardian is doing that kind of approach which is different from the New York Times or the Irish Times or something like that and there's also Wikipedia which does the whole um guilty banner at the top and saying we're halfway to our, our goal this month why don't you consider t- uh, donating to keep our servers running and that s- that sort of thing so there's the guilty aspect of it and there's also the um, okay we're giving you two or, two or three articles a day free and if you want more than that in other words if you're a heavy consumer of, of our, um, our service then pay for it so there's different models yeah I uh, I have a preference there. I, a little bit of uh, a memory basically came to me. I read somewhere or heard somewhere years ago about somebody advocating piracy. Basically, the person was saying, when I was 15, I my parents were extremely poor. I couldn't afford anything. But because of uh, something like uh, whatever back then, Napster or something like that, the person could... Uh, download movies and uh, books and uh, anything for free and it culturally enriched them it gave them education because it is it is this kind of thing that uh, uh, so basically all, all the culture that exists is important you know and without the pirate piracy bit they wouldn't be able to have that and they would be poorer culturally for that now uh, relevant to this conversation uh the approach of the Irish Times where they say free articles and then you have to pay or something like that it's I understand it from their point of view but for me it doesn't work very well because it uh, basically separates the population uh there are people who can afford to do that and they will and there are people who won't because uh, you know 12 euros a month might be all right for you if it's very important to you to have this news source but it might be too much for uh, for somebody else whereas the guardian approach so uh, it kind of says well if you are 
if you if you are well off enough uh, to give us some money, then it's up to you how much you give. And by the way, you are paying for the excess of people who can't afford to pay. And that's, that's the same with the Wikipedia approach. And I, I like that approach. I like that, uh, you know, let let people decide if they can contribute and if they can they will also make sure that other people who cannot contribute or don't want to will be able to access it as well especially for the guardian where this is that's a left left wing newspaper so they are there for the poorer people as well you know yeah. uh- you oh, go, go ahead, ahead Connor. Yeah, uh, w- one thing I was uh, just to follow up on that. Uh, I would prefer if the Irish Times did the Guardian model. I preferred the Guardian model. It's just uh, on balance, I went with the Irish Times because I felt there was kind of it's it's more uh, Irish news and m- maybe more. Um, they try to be more uh, unbiased, whereas the Guardian is like we're left. We know we're left. We're, we don't really hide behind it. Whereas the Irish Times at least attempt to to be more neutral, um, and also it's, it's news from an Irish perspective. Whereas if it went on the Guardian, it was international news and some um, uh, or UK news. And because the Guardian is a UK newspaper, and sometimes I I like things from an Irish point of view with a bit of international news thrown in as well. But if I would prefer if the Irish Times used the Guardian model in order. My twelve-year-old month. Um, some, some, sometime I might be uh, out of work, or I might get a pay reduction, or something like that, and I only can afford nine-euro a month, or five-euro a month, or whatever it is, or even two or three-euro a month if I'm unemployed, but I still want to contribute to to the service. Um, the flexibility of me being able to increase or decrease my contribution is is valuable. Um, that's why the the Guardian and the Wikipedia uh, approach I feel is the best approach, um, and some people will be able to get it for free because they're um, backed by the people who can say this is a really good service. I'm actually going to pay twenty euro a month for this service, and then that is subsidising the people who cannot afford to pay. Uh, I think the flexibility of that is is a, is probably the best approach. It's just on balance. I just went from the the Irish Times. That was just a personal preference. But I would prefer if they adopted the Guardian pay, payment model. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's there's there is. I think there's merits to both approaches because for for me, I mean, the, obviously the Guardian has probably way more readers than the Irish Times. Um, I just at a guess, I would say it has just purely because there's more people in the UK than there is in Ireland. Um, Wikipedia has vastly more readers than either of those two, I would say. Um, so, uh, like, I don't know, I think different approaches work better for different companies because the Irish Times probably has a readership of, I don't know, at a guess, I would say one, two million people. Um, maybe a bit more if you take into account the Irish diaspora around the world who want to read it or pe- Irish people living abroad. Um so I don't know in ball ballpark two million I would say whereas the Guardian probably has, you know, uh, you know ten times the number of eyeballs on it every month. So uh, I don't know. I think it depends how many people are looking at your appeal. Um, and the Irish Times just wouldn't have the same readership, uh, so it mightn't work better. It mightn't work for them, whereas it might work for a larger. Uh, publication like the Guardian. 
Yeah, that's, that might be. Although there are many podcasts who and uh, small open source projects who basically live off Patreon as well, where the, the reach of them is uh, is not nowhere near as good even as the Irish Times. But then again, they probably don't have the same expenses. And uh, yeah, so it's still it is uh, it this uh, still it is a very good point. Yeah, I do like the pay what you want model, though. I think it is a, a fair way to do things, you know. Uh, uh, but it depends, you know. Uh, on that, it's a very good point. Uh, just you talking about the fact that Ireland is a smaller country. It just reminded me of um, I uh, watch uh, a lot of YouTube videos, and w- there's one guy who's a car reviewer, but he's an Irish car reviewer, and he's just saying, "Yeah, I have, a, I have a Patreon. Why don't you support my Patreon?" And like. He's producing a very uh, good product, as in he does drone footage uh, flying over the cars when he's reviewing the cars and uh, showing the landscape that he's driving around. Really good production. Went on his um, Patreon as like €48 a month. I'm just going, yeah, because it's a small nation and he probably isn't getting a a lot lot of funds. Whereas if it was the same guy doing the same production level over in the States, he will probably getting a couple of grand a month. Yeah, exactly. But the the cool thing about uh, platforms like uh, YouTube are is that they're international. So no matter where you are in the world, you can you can see and contribute to that. So, um, I I think that's that's fine. Like the, I like the Patreon model. Like I I think I would, if I was to ever, you know, quit my job and do my own thing, spare uh, in my uh, you know, be self employed doing some sort of project. That's probably what I'd do. Is uh is set up a Patreon and offer them tangible rewards for how how whatever they contribute a month. Yeah, it's it's a it's very um it's very interesting model, and again, it's the the pay what you want mod- model is um is an interesting one. Um, I believe that. Um, artists um music artists um musicians have experimented with these kind of things so their their whole attitude is we're getting fuck all from from our uh, um um sales of our CDs um anyway because of our uh, uh, of uh, because of the deals that we have with our record companies and we're getting fuck all from from Spotify anyway just bear with me a second um yeah so and i think that's a very good point um and they're saying that yeah it's we're fine with you um basically downloading our music for free because that will create the word of mouth creates the um so that's going to uh, contribute to our uh probably you're going to end up buying merchandise which we make more money on and you're going to when we tour to your city we're you're going to buy tickets um so a lot of the time they're saying we're going we're making nothing off our our uh, sales of our CDs anyway so we're we're fine with the the um with the piracy of that um I'm not saying that piracy is necessarily a good thing but it's the whole different models in relation to their their revenue um and a lot of the band members could be saying or, or new maybe new bands are saying yeah we we are we want to go on with the patreon model as in pay whatever we want a month uh, and this keeps this band going full time yeah um so i think we shall move on um next uh, news uh, seems like a bit of a doozy uh, 
uh, government enforced encryption backdoors. Uh, the Five Eyes nations, um, which I can't list off myself. Oh, I, I do know. Uh, Five Eyes are moving to force tech companies to voluntarily add backdoors to their products. So I think this is a resounding hell no, but <laughs> let's discuss. Yeah, no, these people are morons. Uh, again, an example of politicians from bygone era thinking that uh, tech is magic that can do whatever they want. Uh, and uh, like they don't understand then once you make a backdoor in there, it's not only you can access it, but also everybody else who has got... Uh, good technology and uh, and uh, knowledge so they are gonna basically if they, if they do that they would uh, in my opinion and opinion of many other people uh, destroy security for everybody yeah it's 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 yeah I, I'm just like nah yeah it's it's uh, I, if they could explain a bit more about why they need a backdoor terrorism like, maybe but like yeah well that's the thing i mean but it goes back to this whole argument of you know if a guy if a guy kills you with a shovel should shovels be outlawed like <laughs> it's 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 the person not the tool but you know it's that i think that's a bit of a simplified argument when it comes to technology um no. I, I don't even if I don't even think it's this like no one ever s killed anybody with a with, with a slack post but uh, uh, as far as we know uh, but uh, it's just I, I on one side obviously they they say it's about public safety and uh, terrorism and uh, crime on the other side it's blatantly just them wanting to have more control and they think, well, we are legally able to open letters if we have uh, sufficient warrants. Why shouldn't we have, why shouldn't we have uh, access to, to electronic communication? But uh, what they want to do is not being able to open letters. What they want to do is basically make all the envelope transpar envelopes transparent. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, what I'd really love to to know here is um is so yeah you were saying like basically they can open a letter so just to play devil's advocate what if uh say a criminal gang or a terrorism terrorist network are using a communications platform to coordinate you know and it's end to end encrypted and nobody can see what they're saying not even the people who run the company you know in the case of WhatsApp uh it's completely end-to-end -end encrypted um so you literally have to have the person's phone to see the messages on either end so like what is the counter argument to people who say well how do we catch those people if we can't see how they're communicating we can't see what they're putting online or how they're sending messages to each other like you know how do we get the evidence we need to prosecute them or to catch them in the first place so that's a, i think that's an interesting question the argument is no you don't uh, basically like in on one side stop pissing people off and invaded other people's countries and on the other <laughs> side in came in terms of criminals um well maybe start by outlawing uh, by making less things uh, illegal in terms of drugs then maybe put more real police uh, socially educated police not just some brutal assholes but you know 
police and social workers on the streets so that you know when something bad is happening uh, in terms of, for example, abuse. Like they say, well, we need to catch people who share uh, pictures of uh, child porn. Yeah, but you should also attempt to catch the people who actually take the pictures. You know, when the pictures are on somebody's phone, the child has already been abused. You need you need to instead of relying on automation, people should rely on real police work and on uh, you know on on social work as well say it's a hands-on human approach that's missing and for the third bit and obviously there is a lot of well we won't be able to see what they are doing no you won't and that's just we're gonna we are all going to have to live with it the same way you cannot you don't have glasses to penetrate people's houses to see what they are talking to, to to see and hear what they are talking about, the same way you won't be able to decrypt electronic communication. That's just something we will all have to live with because the the uh, the opposite, the, the alternative is just not viable. That would mean that all your money is, is up there to be grabbed because everything will be able to get hacked. It's, you know, that's, that's just it. Um, I, I do not know about the, the legislation in Ireland, whether it's even remotely similar, but the... the um, one thing that I do know is over in the states, I believe, um, the uh, uh, like written mail, as in ordinary post, I believe it's it's completely and utterly um, illegal um, to open open mail. Whether there's been retroactive things going through the government and saying, yeah, we say that, but like certain three-letter agencies have been given an exemption for that. I don't know whether relation to that, but it's, I think as the laws were set up, I think it's it's like highly illegal to open other people's mail, whether three-letter agencies are exempt from that. From that, I do not know. But the, that whole thing of once it's, once you mail it to somebody, so, so it, I think that's the modern version of the end-to-end encryption. In other words, the, the law enforcement, um, for example, the ordinary police in the States, rather than a three letter agency even if, if the three letter agency has access to the information I do not know what they do but they would have to literally um, go to the house and find the letter if they want to be able to have access to the letter rather than inter- intercept it in transit but I'm sure um, that's probably been watered down quite severely um, uh, but to what degree I do not know again but the legislation in Ireland I do not know yeah I know it to me, this is just pure, pure power grab and laziness. Where uh, instead of of doing something that the state or any state should be doing is, uh, as in you know, basically work with the people that you are there supposed to be for, they just want to rely on automation and uh, op- uh, what is it called? Op- you know, on automation and uh, cameras and uh, whatnot to to just uh, have not even security because this is never going to be secure. To just create security theater uh, where everybody is supposed to feel safe and the politicians are meant to look like they are doing something, but nothing actually works and uh, the, and uh, it's only making the world worse. I mean. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Shane. Yeah, um, uh, I, th- I think you have a more um, uh, kind of uh, se- severe view on these things than I do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with the the gen- with what you're saying in general. Like, yeah, they they should find a different way. Like, it doesn't, 
you know you don't have to snoop on our on our text messages to to fight crime like there's plenty of other ways to do it uh connor sorry well what i was going to say is the reason why i'm i'm kind of slightly tinfoil hat and have moved towards um more secure communication methods is actually I'm more concerned about the um, big American companies than I am about the Irish government. I don't think the Irish government are competent enough to be able to be able to snoop into my stuff. I'm more concerned about Google and and Oath and Amazon uh, accessing my information. Um, to be honest, the the fact that um, the Irish government could be mo- uh, potentially be monitoring my stuff didn't even enter into my consideration. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just thinking uh, they're probably not that good. <laughs> it's it's uh i think there is something to be said about a scale of a country like the bigger the bigger the country uh the bigger the bullies at the top and i don't think the irish government not might not even be that good but i don't think they are that interested because you know it's a different paradigm whereas the people on the top of the administrations in the states and in the uk they just they think themselves gods from what i can see so and yeah. on that on also on that point is for example for legit reason in other words if the Ungardishukana which is our police in Ireland if they say listen we have this guy we have this uh, suspected guy and we want to find out if he's doing a terrorism or if he's planning planning on anything in Ireland oh, that's, go with me with the, for the example just for the example <laughs> They, they would have to, because they don't have the, the local expertise, they would have to go to an outside agency. They would probably have to bring in uh, Interpol or, or somebody from, from the UK or from France or something. To, they do have security experts, and they, so they would have to bring somebody out of, uh, out of Ireland, bring them in over, say, okay, for this specific reason, we're going to pay you whatever it is, and we're, you're going to go off and you're going to find out the information for us. But I think if they're if if that if such an agency was part of Ankara and they would subconsciously would nearly have to justify their own existence. In other words, they're saying, "Well, we're here. We might as well." Hey, that guy looks slightly suspicious. We're going to do a bit of hacking over here. Nah, he's fine. But that kind of thing. Whereas if the if if it's not. In other words, if you had to escalate up to that point, and if the agency is out, you have to bring in an external agency that disincentivizes. In other words, you have to really have a legit reason for it because the Irish government is putting up the bill for getting this outside agency to come in. Whereas if if that was internal, and you're saying, okay, we have this um, internal agency is costing us whatever ten million a year, and they're they're like, oh, and then the government are like, well. Why are we paying this ten year, ten million a year? You have to justify whatever. And there's like, well, we investigated ten people this year, or whatever it was. I mean, two of them could have been legitimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be interested to see. It, it's a bit like um, the statistics I heard on uh, like airport security. Like, uh, h- how many actual attacks has airport security ever actually stopped? And I think it's like zero. <laughs> I think I think it is like literally zero. Um, uh, I could be. I stand. I could. I. You know. I'm open to correction. But. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think w- when it comes to tech, like technical surveillance, I guess, or surveillance through electronic means, um, 
like what are the statistics on that have they actually you know successfully prosecuted or caught anyone based off of a backdoor in some communication app or a social app well i don't know but i can tell you that back in the day al-qaeda used to smuggle floppy disk like they used to basically have people running with floppy disks or usb disks i don't know usb drives uh, and exchange information that way, which is obviously undetectable by electronic means. And uh, it, today, the possibility of you going online to certain places and just buy drugs and have them delivered internationally without detection is there. And I don't, you hear every now and then that someone's getting busted for that, but it's not, it's not on uh, on a scale that you would think uh, and I don't think, uh, I don't think that uh, giving them more powers to do what they are already doing with this uh, would would uh, basically help them catch more criminals. It would be just more surveillance of ordinary people. Yeah, what you were saying there with the like you know Silk Road, for example. Um, to my mind, I would I would guess that most anybody caught like buying stuff off Silk Road or selling stuff through Silk Road, you know, that, that they were caught, you know, via normal customs checks or, or uh, you know, or they were already su- suspects, you know, to the local police. Like, I, I doubt, you know, surveillance or back doors helped to catch those people. I think in the case of uh, the guy who set up the original Silk Road, Ross Ulbricht, I think, I'm not sure... He got caught, or at least there is a case of somebody getting caught because he posted some stupid questions on a forum asking, how do I do this? And uh, yeah, that's just police work. That's not, that's that's looking for things and analyzing them by a human, by, by a human, not, not uh, some, not some, you know, electronic, uh, not snooping on electronic communication because he asked in the open, so, and I, I'd imagine that you are right because the biggest danger of uh, getting getting anything sent to internationally is that somebody is gonna look at it at the uh, at the borders and just uh, open the packet. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. That's a that's a discussion I think we could have uh, for hours upon hours. <laughs> But uh, I don't know, I'd be very interested to see some more data on this and how effective these so-called backdoors are. Like, uh, you know, I'd love to see them put their money where their mouth is and tell us, you know, could this stop X, Y or Z? Or, you know, why is this good for us? Other than just giving you like, you know, it's just basically like FOMO on an international scale. (laughs) It's like we can't see that. You know, it's encrypted. We want to be able to see everything. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, guys. Let us see. Um, but uh, anyway, I think we shall move on. I think we're getting on time-wise. Uh, we shall move on. Uh, does anyone have a boner this week? Yeah, I, I always have one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my Linux boner for this uh, uh, for this. Uh, Two weeks period to for this fortnight is uh, is a bit awkward because it's an applic- application called Arkward, as in uh. yeah, it's 
it's it's it's as you have probably guessed an KDE application, hence the awkward name. It's an IDE for R programming. Now uh, that's a bit niche, I know, but um, there are basically if anybody does anything in R. Uh, there is R Studio, which is an application written by Java, uh, free and open source to my knowledge, which works. But I'm always looking for something better than Arcvert, even though it's uh, not always stable. You have to basically know what not to press uh, in order not to crash it. But uh, in most of the time, it just uh, gives me what I need. And it's it has a bit of uh, the fact that it feels in better in my desktop because it's actually basically made in Qt and is uh, it fits in with the KDE theme and even part of it is uh, that it takes the the editing bit is uh, is uh, from Kate from the or, or K right from the KDE text editor but also it's really nice to see a project uh, uh, doing something despite the fact that there is a massive uh, massive other project that does the same thing and i think that in some in some cases they are uh they are even doing it better than the uh, than the r studio so massive shout out to the to the awkward project nice nice um yeah uh connor have you got anything for us this week uh unfortunately you have no bonus this week yeah yeah um yeah i myself I struggle to come up with anything quite as exciting as, you know, the open data uh, government thing we spoke about last time. But, uh, yeah, I'm still working on, uh, like, you know, showing people how that's useful. So that's going to be super interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think we shall wrap it up, shall we? Yeah. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, as always. Um, you can catch us on our Telegram. All the links and whatnot are on linuxlads.com. Um, if you uh, have an objection to the word boner, <laughs> let us know. Um, that's uh, that could be subject to change, I guess. We'll be. But, we'll uh, take it under advisement. <laughs> or, yeah, we'll we'll send a memo or whatever. I don't know. Um, okay, so just to uh, wrap it up, I've been Shane. I've been Connor, and I've been Mike, and we are the Linux lads. Goodbye. <laughs>